Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Nicole Centeno, founder of Splendid Spoon, delivering ready-to-eat and nutrient-dense plant-based smoothies, soups, grain bowls, and noodles nationwide. What was sparked from simplifying healthy eating while being pregnant and busy is now Splendid Spoon today. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Nicole Centeno of Splendid Spoon. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Cameron. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Mm, I grew up um, mostly in a town called Longmeadow in Western Massachusetts. Um, Popped around a little bit, a couple different places in New England, but that's really where my roots are. Mm -hmm. And my dad is Filipino. Um, My mom is white and grew up in Cape Cod. So like so much of my upbringing, it was kind of this mix of different cultures and lots of really warm, jovial family meals and um, also lots of time in the garden. So Mm. I really have always kind of colored my memories with um, food experiences, which is perhaps no surprise uh, given what I do now. Amazing. Would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset growing up, say, uh, uh, lemonade stands or sell any products like that? Mm, Definitely the lemonade stand. Um, I also also remember charging folks in my neighborhood for a performance that my friends and I put on in our backyard. So there were often different kind of like concepts that I was coming up with around like bringing value to people or gathering people and, and yeah, trying to figure out how to exchange that for, for some sort of value, which I think is definitely very entrepreneurial. For sure. So you mentioned that your family had a garden growing up and especially the industry you're in now. I'm curious, did you guys ever uh, market any of the vegetables or anything that you've grown growing up as a kid? No, it's so funny. I didn't grow up um, going to farmer's markets. I didn't even think to, you know, in spite of the lemonade stand and um, charging neighbors to come see a performance (laughs) in the backyard, I never thought to like bundle the peas and carrots and sell them. Mm -hmm. Um, It was always very much about the experience of growing and getting in touch with nature. yeah, it wasn't until I was in culinary school that I really started to get more educated on agriculture, growing practices, and things like community-supported agriculture. Amazing. I saw you went on to study at Boston College in 2001. Uh, what did you study there? I studied biology. Okay. Uh, yeah. With your time there, were you involved with any athletics or clubs? Um. Let's see. I don't think so. Um, 
I spent a lot of my time socializing and then a lot of my time in the biology lab. So those were kind of like my two areas of focus at school, I would say. It's like building, sure. building my network of friends and like sort of growing my chosen family, I suppose. And then um, I did do a decent amount of volunteer work. Um, so there were different clubs where we would travel to different parts of the country and do service work. That's always been something that I've been drawn to. Um, even growing up, I was pretty active in my church youth group actually, and, mm -hmm. um, did a lot of community service and outreach programs, um, whether it was creating meals or helping with building different structures. Um, I've always been excited to kind of like get my hands dirty and roll up my sleeves and be of service to the community so for sure following your time at boston then and prior to splendid spoon uh what kind of jobs were you working did you go into uh the biology field then well yeah it's funny because I, I got into biology i thought that i was going to be a physician my um grandfather my uncle and aunt another great aunt um all in the medical field and so i thought perhaps that was something that was in my dna um but I decided after doing my independent research in the lab that I didn't really want to become a physician and I wasn't really sold on becoming a, a research biologist either. Um, and so I took a bit of a detour from that and I got into media. I worked at Condé Nast. Hmm. Um, I worked at a couple of the more sciencey titles, I guess. Um, so I was at Wired and then I was also at The New Yorker and I was on the business side. So mm. helping to develop, you know, helping to monetize those properties and develop programs and communication strategies that helped different brands uh, connect mm. with the audiences. So in between this time, uh, you mentioned culinary and I saw that you went to culinary school in between this uh, time in marketing. Um, what kind of inspired you and led you to take a time in like a year of culinary school then? Yeah, well, it was actually during my time in publishing. So okay. what happened was I took this detour out of um, science and out of the lab and out of, um, you know, like making things and, and um, studying things um, with my hands and went into this more office centric, um, relationship centric uh, position and felt like I was disconnected from what I was really, really passionate about. So I chose to go to culinary school at night. So I stayed working at Condé Nast during that time, which was really powerful for me in knowing that it was the right path because it was really hard. <laughs> it yeah. was really challenging to maintain and perform um, at a day job while also work, you know, going into a kitchen environment and putting the chef's toque on and um, being like hot and sweaty and working with knives in the kitchen late into the evening and then doing the same thing again the next day. Mm -hmm. It really showed me that I was pretty passionate about that path, like mm -hmm. that I could do that, um, helped clarify for me that I was, I was on the right track. After uh, years in marketing then and taking this culinary break, um, I'm curious then, what inspired you in 2013 to start Splendid Spoon and enter the ready-to-eat space? Yeah, yeah. So I had, for a few years, I started culinary school, I think it was in 2010, and then kept my day job and had all of these various side hustles. So I had built a very full life. Mm -hmm. um, and then I became pregnant with my first son, Grover, 
um, in 2012, actually. And I was really reflecting on like what my life had turned into, how excited I was that I was following my passion. I was starting to chart this path out of my day job. And it really dawned on me that as much as I was focusing on food and, um, you know, reuniting with this passion, I wasn't necessarily practicing it <laughs> um, in terms of like the balance that I had created in my, my own eating um, life. And so I, I started to ask myself, like, what does balance really mean? Like, what does it really mean to have a balanced diet? What does it really mean to eat well? And how can I achieve this in my own personal life? And kind of stumbled back into research territory and um, as I was looking at different diets, plant-based just seemed to be this really elegant solution that not a lot of people had adopted. And it was sort of like there was veganism, which carried a whole lot of big lifestyle changes beyond just how you were eating. Mm -hmm. And then there was kind of like the omnivore um, style of eating that I was accustomed to. And eating more plant-forward, plant-based wasn't so much of a thing back then. Yeah. But research really showed to me like, hey, this more is more. Eating more plant-based does have this big impact on your health. It doesn't have to be absolute, but it does have to be a shift, right? Like there does have to be some shift in moving away from animal products. Yeah. And that it would also have this big impact on the environment, which I was really concerned about. And, you know, I think many, more of us now are even more concerned about. And went to my kitchen and tried to make these, uh, you know, a few plant-based meals for myself and very um, confidently thought because of my science background and my culinary background, it would be very easy and it was very hard. So um, yeah. that re really revealed to me like, hey, this is a really wonderful solution that can work for people can prevent disease i have type 2 diabetes in my family heart disease in my family um these are things that i wanted to prevent and i felt like my starting a family was this really great opportunity to kind of draw a line in the sand yeah and because the solutions were so hard um to actually access i felt like there was a real business opportunity there for sure so that was the light bulb moment so i'm curious then when you began to switch over to plant-based yourself were you able to do it quickly and did you notice any change in how your body felt uh, rapidly or did you have to go into it slowly i'm just curious from not being plant-based plant-based prior uh, and then going straight yeah. to it yeah um so i did what was called at the time we called it a soup cleanse it was mm -hmm. like when juicing had become really popular and we now call it a, a reset um, and it includes lots of different things in it. But at the time that was really helpful for me was to have one day of like, I'm just going to eat plant-based and get my palate and my body accustomed to these ingredients that I don't really eat that much of. I mean, and, and back then I was eating out a lot. I was cooking French style, you know, traditional French style, I should say with, um, lots of animal fats and lots of butter and it was very rich very delicious um not great for you health wise and it took a minute for me to really kind of like get my palate into a different place and the the cleanse or the reset as we call it now really helped quite a bit yeah. so that was a little bit of like the 
you know, high intensity or sort of like jolt to the system that we started with that a lot of people really gravitated toward. Um, and now I really think that there are different ways to do it for everyone. I'm not even a hundred percent plant-based now. And I consider it, mm. um, you know, it's a journey for me every day. Like yeah. I'm so connected to food as a cultural story, as a connection to my heritage. And so, um, for that reason, I really have chosen not to be a hundred percent plant-based, but I strive to be. And so the convenience element, um, of Splendid Spoon has been, probably the biggest game changer for me. I mean, I think the reset is really nice as kind of like that super snappy, like get back into a different rhythm, mm -hmm. but truly it's the everyday nature of the food, the tastiness of the food that gets me and our many customers coming back. For sure. When you were prototyping uh, your first products then, I'm curious, where did some of these recipes come from and what did that prototyping process look like? Yeah, you know, we follow a similar prototyping process now. Like so many of the recipes come from inspiration of our travels and inspiration mm -hmm. of what makes us feel good in our family's kitchen. Mm -hmm. So thinking about versions of, you know, what is the plant-based version of a chicken noodle soup? Um, and actually that's, <laughs> it sounds like a big stretch, but that's where the lentil kale came from. It was like, what is a really comforting filling, soothing meal um, that can take the place of something as ubiquitous as a, a chicken noodle soup. Um, mm. And a lot of it also came from just the flavors that we were inspired by at farmer's markets. So in the very beginning, a lot of the flavors were also seasonal. Mm. Um, it would be, you know, we were sourcing for a very small radius, this very small segment of customers, primarily in New York City. And so it was going to the farmer's market, grabbing whatever was available and playing and experimenting in the kitchen. Um, we also have gained a lot of inspiration from the different regions of India. Mm -hmm. um, so much of what is amazing about um, Indian cuisine is that it's quite varied and it's very vegetable forward. So there's like, truly like thousands of years of cooking technique and spice development and flavor development mm -hmm. um, that we have adopted into many of the meals at Splendid Spoon. Mm. I'm curious then at launch, uh, you guys have a variety of products from smoothies to full bowls. What did you first launch with? Was it one category or did you come out with a complete plan? Yeah, we launched first with, it was actually first the soup cleanse, which we now call the reset. Mm -hmm. And then it was, so that was kind of like how, again, like how does someone who is not anywhere close to being 100% plant-based, like start? Yeah. Um, and then we moved into the lunches, which were all soups at the time as well. And the thought there was, <clears throat> excuse me, that lunch is sort of this like forgotten meal, especially throughout the Monday through Friday, nine to five grind. Mm -hmm. And when you're so busy and you're often reaching for something that is unhealthful or, and just quick, like you're optimizing just for quickness, it's a really ripe opportunity to give yourself that full plant-based meal. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the, that was the first meal time that we really focused on. And then we moved into smoothies and then we added grain bowls and now we have shots and noodle bowls and um, we're adding a few very exciting new things in the next couple of weeks in um, more of like the snack category. So Amazing. there's, 
a lot of growth into the different areas of, of the day part for our customers. Amazing. From the customer's POV then, uh, logistically, how does the meals ship? Say they order something, uh, is it refrigerated or do you have any uh, shelf-stable products? We don't have anything shelf-stable um, and that's really, so far at least, that's been in keeping with creating a flavor that tastes like as close to homemade as, as possible mm. um, and utilizes fresh ingredients and ingredients that have been picked and maybe frozen very quickly and capturing that nutrition value um, and the flavor. We just have not been able to um, replicate the flavor and shelf stable um, that we do in, in the fresh meals. But yeah. everything, so that said, yes, it does cause a logistical challenge that we spent <laughs> um, several years early on really trying to, to crack and figure out. Um, and so we, everything is shipped in a box. We have the smoothies that go in your refrigerator and we have the bowls that go in the freezer. So there's a nice little sort of like refrigerated environment that's created in the box. And we include dry ice as well to maintain that cold temperature. So mm. it's actually quite, it's, it's heavy in that the food itself is um, ready to eat. So you truly can like just pop it out and you could open the box and open a smoothie and, and go. Um, <laughs> you could grab a noodle bowl and throw it in your microwave and have, have your lunch, you know, within four minutes after, after receiving your box, which is really, really cool. That's amazing. I'm curious then, uh, what are your main forms of marketing then for the ready to eat space, um, specifically D to C, how would you market this product or how do you today? Yeah. Um, early on, and I think so much of this, I, I give credit to my time at Condé Nast and working with um, different really sort of well-known brands and watching their, their playbook. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was the storytelling that we had um, through press mm. was just getting the, you know, I didn't have any a real capitalization plan for the business. It truly was like, I'm a lady with a passion <laughs> that believes really strongly in something and wants to build. Yeah. And that was really it. Um, and so there was no marketing budget. There was, there was no sales team in the very early days and really leaned on the storytelling um, with press channels to get the word out there. Mm -hmm. And then um, as we, we did have a wholesale arm of the business that um, we started with, which at the time was kind of like the largest part of the business and now is um, a very, very tiny part of the business. That also really helped a lot in exposure. It was an, it's an e-commerce grocer called Fresh Direct, mm. um, who I am still eternally grateful to for helping Splendid Spoon get its feet on the ground. And because it was e-commerce and because it was... Um, located in this core market that we started with in New York City. It did provide trial opportunity. It, the distribution helped substantially in so many areas of the business. Um, and, and that then actually gave us the cash flow to start really putting together a plan around marketing and pivoting into direct-to-consumer, ironically, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it helped us to actually pivot out of the channel that we were in. Wow. Um, and so now we work a, a lot with ambassadors. There's still that storytelling is still really, really strong of um, that sort of like, this is my personal experience and here's why it worked is really important for our customers who are coming to us with their, their health goals. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we spend a lot of time um, on creative for the traditional performance channels as well. So 
Facebook and Instagram um, are, are certainly a big part of the pie for us also. Amazing. From that marketing then and also uh, purchases, what would you say is your main demographic then for the products? Yeah, the demographic is really beautifully like all across the United States, which is really cool. Mm. Um, more than 75% of our customers are, we like to say, are not in New York and California. Not that we don't absolutely love our New York and California yeah. customer. <laughs> I'm a New York resident. Um, but I say that because a, a lot of the preconceived notion for these D2C brands is that it's kind of like coastal elite. And that's really not the story with mm -hmm. Splendid Spoon. Um, our customers are families all throughout the U.S., um, busy people. Um, it's often a female head of household who has kind of like taken command of her own um, health journey and is now then sharing it with her family as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and often busy, you know, like whether they are taking care of a family, taking care of um, an elderly loved one, um, or building their career and, and spending a lot of time working during the day. These are, these are people who are driven and um, have multiple things going on in their life and mm -hmm. care about their food, care about their health and just want, you know, a helping hand. Mm. Looking at Splendid Spoon today then, uh, what would you say separates Splendid Spoon from your competitors? Uh, taste, definitely. Mm. The food tastes really good and is really satisfying in a way that I think is quite unique for the ingredients that we use, we really focus on whole ingredients as much as possible, like, you know, no preservatives. It really is as close to homemade as you can get. Mm -hmm. um, and convenience, right? Like yeah. there are loads of semi-made or like add this and stir or add this and put it in a blender. Um, of course, the meal kits that have gotten really popular. I think that's a big differentiator for us is that it truly is ready to eat. It truly is very, 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 very easy. For sure. So looking at many categories that you guys have, I'm not sure if you can depict a top seller. Um, you, you have many smoothies, many bowls, but if you could give one, do you know what your top seller might be? Um, our veggie meatballs marinara. Okay. <laughs> that, like, that is the fan favorite. And that is, one that I have at least one in my order every single week at home okay. and it gets devoured. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, uh, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret? Just anything. Mm, find your North Star. Mm. It's It can be really lonely in the early days and then it gets really noisy and there's so many distractions as you grow and when you have that really clear internal North star to come back to, um, you know, you just, you always, I'm now I'm all I can think of is like really cheesy things. Like you always find your way, <laughs> you always know where you're going, but it's very true. Yeah. Um, spending that time on yourself at self care to really um, quiet the noise and make sure you're listening to what it is that drove you to start this thing in the first place is so powerful. Mm. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Splendid Spoon at SplendidSpoon.com. Thanks, Cameron. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.